Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of our podcast series called Catching the Last Wave. I'm Giulio and I will be your host today. In this episode, we'll have the chance to hear from a guest who needs no introduction, Mr. Anote Tong, a world-renowned leader in the battle against climate change. Mr. Tong served as president of Kiribati from 2003 to 2016. Since leaving office, he has continued to speak about the realities of climate change, including the urgency of the issue and the complexity of the causes as well as possible solutions. For over 20 years, Mr. Tong has been at the forefront of raising global awareness about the catastrophic risks caused by climate change, especially drawing the international attention to the human dimension by highlighting the existential threat faced by his people and those of other vulnerable countries on the front line of climate change. He is responsible for a number of initiatives to combat climate change and protect the environment, such as calling for a global moratorium on using coal in 2015, as well as overseeing the creation of the Phoenix Island Protected Area, one of the world's largest marine conservation areas that has also been recorded on the UNESCO World Heritage List. As part of his global advocacy on climate change, Mr. Tong has met with various world leaders to discuss the plight of small island states, including Pope Francis and former United States President Barack Obama. Mr. Tong has been awarded a number of environmental prizes for his work, including the 2015 Sunak Peace Prize, the Leadership Award from the Hillary Institute of International Leadership and the Peter Benchley Ocean Award in 2012. He is now a member of the Pacific Elders Voice, an independent group of prominent leaders dedicated to serving the Pacific's current and future challenges and opportunities. We are honored to have Mr. Tong as a guest for our podcast and we are looking forward to hear from him on the unique security challenges related to climate change in the Pacific, including loss and damage and climate-induced migration. Thank you Mr. Tong for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you as part of our podcast. Please let me start with an introductory question. If you can please tell us about your work and experience as a member of the Pacific Elder Voice and a very well-known world renewal leader in the battle against climate change. Can you please give us a quick overview of the initiatives you are working on at the moment? Let me begin by thanking you, Julia, for giving me this opportunity to once again share the stories that I've been communicate, trying to communicate over the last two decades. And uh, yes... Uh, since I, my retirement in 2016, I have continued to work on advocacy on climate change, uh, plus other things as well. And But um, more recently, with the newly established uh, Pacific Elders Voice, what we have tried to do is to, as a group, is try to focus on critical regional issues and, and to comment. You know, as, as you know, we, we are now on the sidelines of the action, but nevertheless, we, given the experience that many of us had over the years, we believe that we can at least make a contribution, hopefully a positive contribution to the, the discussions, which have mainly uh, centered around climate issue. But of course, it's not confined to the climate issue, but uh, other issues as well, which are relevant and critical to the region. So, yes, we have been involved commentary on the other issues like uh, the security issues, and uh, and uh, I've been doing that, and will continue to do that. I have engagements coming up where I'll be traveling and uh, continuing the advocacy on climate change. 
Thank you, Mr. Tong, for this quick uh, overview of the issues you're working on. And great to hear it. you're working on broader issues critical for the region, especially security as well. And let me jump to the second question, which is actually about security. So in a recent statement from the Pacific Elder Voice on climate security, you affirm that the Pacific Island region has its own set of unique challenges and the security and future of the Pacific must be determined primarily by Pacific island countries and not by external powers competing over strategic interests within the region. So how, in your opinion, can the sovereignty of Pacific countries be respected and how can Pacific people develop and implement their own security strategy, especially the unique security strategies related to climate change? If you might recall, uh, that statement coming from the Pacific Elders' voice followed the, um, the focus of attention, which was being directed at the uh, what was happening in some of the Pacific Island countries, particularly with the, the initiative by, by China. What we believe, how it uh, blowed out of proportion that uh, our security issue was about um, the strategic considerations rather than what, what has always been our focus of uh, attention on the, the security issue, which is climate change. I think um, I remember as far back as 2012, we tried to put uh, climate change as a security issue on the UN Security Council agenda, trying through the uh, participation of the Australian member on the council. And so we should not uh, be distracted from that. But of course, things are changing with the increasing attention that other superpowers are wanting to focus in our region. And so now we are facing the, uh, the situation where some countries uh, are being to a large extent, being influenced by the interests of other countries. And that is, I think, that is what we wanted to say, that how we, we address our security issues must not be determined by the interests of countries outside of the region, which, of course, as small countries, we will always be subjected to that. And uh, the question is, how can we remain uh, sovereign states in the face of uh, these global, large, uh, huge initiatives by larger countries, and uh, it's no secret that with China coming in more aggressively in the region, and now the United States and Australia, especially the Western Alliance, are feeling that uh, their interest, their security interests are being threatened. You know, we don't believe that uh, we are an enemy of any particular country, nor do we pose any threat to any country. And I think as long as we remain relatively neutral, I, I think our security would be really be affected by the jostlings and the competition that goes on between the, the larger powers. I think our strength as small island countries, but huge, huge ocean states, is in our territory and our ocean area. And I think uh, that this is where we must try to find the strength because this is where our strength. We have a huge ocean area with uh, huge marine resources. 60% of the world tuna is actually in the Pacific uh, region. In addition to that, some of the countries are very strategically located as to be important to the strategic uh, considerations of countries who are always really having competing in terms of influence. And so it's about maximizing our relevance in all of what is going on. We, we acknowledge that we are small states, yet we can derive strength by being a solid block. I know that that is not easy because each country has, is, makes its own sovereign decisions and uh, will establish relations with uh, whichever country they, that they wish to. But I think it is important that we don't get used and manipulated in the process.
Thank you, Mr. Tong, for the reflection on security and for stressing the importance of independence for Pacific Island states, especially on security issues. As you said, it is a region where the powerful states try to get their influence and are getting their influence. I really like your reflection on the strength of those Pacific states, because sometimes, as you said, they're seen as small states, but they can compensate the lack of territory with the huge ocean area, which has such a, such huge potential. So it, it is very important and thank you for highlighting that. Let me deep dive now in one of the many climate-related security issues that the Pacific is facing. And I'm sure for our audience, it will be very interesting to have your opinion on this. Under your leadership, you have been at the forefront of raising global awareness in all international fora on existential threats faced by low-lying atoll nations linked to climate change. So one of the hot topics discussed at, uh, not only at COP26, but uh, all the other high-level negotiation is the so-called loss and damage. So the idea that the impacts of climate change are greater than the ability to adapt, especially when these impacts were caused by greenhouse gas emission from other states. And we both know that the Pacific only accounts for 0.001% of all the gas emissions. So please, can you tell us more about this issue and the Pacific Island effort to raise it at the international negotiation. Thank you. Okay, you know, it's, um, we need to go back a little bit uh, to maybe to the um, 2007 when the fourth assessment report of the IPCC was released. In that report, it was made very clear that uh, whatever happens in the negotiations, whether we cut emissions down to zero, the impact of the greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere would ensure that the level will continue to rise, that global temperatures will continue to rise to the extent that our island countries will be submerged by the end of the century. Now, that uh, conclusion has since been updated with the sixth assessment report it released in February this year, which indicated that now we have a shorter time frame and that um, our islands will be uninhabitable by 2060. Okay, so it's been advanced. In other words, it's actually getting worse from 2007. So we have to face up to the reality that uh, our future, our future is in serious jeopardy. And that as independent nations and as a people, a distinct people, it's most likely that we will have no country by the middle of the century. And so we have to come to the brutal reality of acknowledging that. And so the question has been, and this has been the thrust of what the Pacific Island countries have been pushing, not so much on mitigation, but adaptation. What has got to be understood is, um, and I've come across this in a number of the forums that I've attended, you know, the people say, you know, so why don't you move back away from the, uh, the shoreline? I said, okay, we can do that, but we simply fall off on the other side. So people do not always understand how critical the situation is. And so how will the international community, you're, you're quite correct, we don't contribute to the problem, but we are facing the worst effects of, of the problem. And the question is, how can we deal with this? Can we adapt to the extent of uh, being able to remain on our islands? And the question is, not unless we would be willing and able to undertake very radical adaptation strategies. In other words, building up the islands so that they would remain above the rising seas and the, and the more severe storms. But the question is, is the international community willing and able to provide us with the resources so that we can do this? 
I don't th- see this happening. And in my experience and over the last uh, decade or so, what I can see is the countries who have made the biggest contribution, in other words, the developed countries, have been very reluctant to accept liability for the loss and damage, which we are advocating that they should be paying or making compensation for us. And so the burning question is, what is our future? What is our future? And will the international community come a step forward to assist us deal with the most severe impacts of climate change? And my answer, quite frankly, is I don't see that happening. And um, that was earlier on. Now, with the impacts of climate change now happening in the developed world with the heat waves, with the bushfires, with the melting ice caps, and also in the United States, they're talking about some of some cities being submerged. Now, these are new. But they've always been there. But these are just cities. Our whole islands will be gone. And so with increasing pressure on countries to deal with their own challenges with climate change, it is becoming less and less likely that they will be able to step forward to provide the resources that we need in order to build our resilience to climate change. And so in spite of our ongoing efforts for claim of loss and damage, it doesn't look very likely. And so that the future that we face is extremely uncertain. And I think I, for one, have come to terms with that, to acknowledge it. It's a brutal reality, but uh, it's not something that is nice to acknowledge. But at the same time, we have to be realistic as to what is happening. Thank you so much, Mr. Tong, for this reflection. Very, If I can say it's very sad, but we need to be realistic and uh, it is your words are very powerful. Thank you for your overview on of the adaptation and in general, how critical the situation is for Pacific Island uh, countries, especially atoll nations. So there is a uh, more awareness in the global community about this issue, climate security issues, about all of this loss and damage. So again, thank you for your very powerful words. I don't have much to add on that. And as you said, the only, don't call it hope, but you know, something that could change is that we're finally seeing the same drastic and dramatic effects of climate change in uh, Europe, in the in other parts of the world, such as the US, Australia. So the most powerful state, the one that could change things and make a difference are, are finally realizing on their own countries what is happening. But this is, have been raised by the Pacific Island Nation and by you in person as well for many years. If I may add, Julio, you know, the, uh, the likelihood of a country stepping forward has become less and less with the defects of the COVID-19, with the ongoing conflict in Europe. And uh, the, with the pressure on the economies, it's less likely that the countries will be able to cut emission, let alone provide the resources for us to build the resilience which we need in order to survive the worsening impacts of climate change. And so, you know, the, the future is not looking very good for us. Thank you, Mr. Tong. Totally agree as well as now priorities will shift and it's a very bad situation for promoting change that will probably not happen. So yeah, agree with you. Thank you for that. Let me uh, go to my fourth question for today. And uh, it's uh, around another big topic that you touch already, but let me deep dive into it. So an additional topic has also been discussed, especially in the latest uh, high-level negotiation, and it's related to climate security, is the climate-induced migration. So for me, one of, of your many most powerful quotes that for me personally that you said, I think it was uh, 2018, is the following. We are being told that we may have to abandon our islands, the places where our ancestors have been buried, where our children have a home. So as a member of the Pacific Elder Voice, uh, how do you see the discussion and the future of these issues for the Pacific region? So especially for atoll nations, which are at the front line of this new and unexplored consequence of climate change. 
You know, we've got to be realistic in how we are dealing with the whole issue because sometimes we get the feeling that uh, the COP meetings are simply a discussion, a dance around, posturing around the critical issues, okay? And I think that is uh, uh, the impression we get every time conclusion of the COP meetings. It doesn't really address the issues in the way that they need to be addressed. In, in other words, we don't see solutions coming out of these uh, conferences that would be meaningful in guaranteeing our future. And I think we need to keep making this point, especially coming up to the next uh, COP meeting. It's no secret that um, with the rising sea level, with the right worsening impacts of climate change, people will become affected. And so the question is, what do we do? What are our options? When I was watching what happened with the North African uh, migration to Europe, that was, it was inevitable. Yet there was, there was constant denial that it wouldn't happen. And in the, in the process, nothing was ever done to address it. And as a result, a lot of pressures and a lot of uh, terrible human catastrophe, disasters happen. And I think uh, what's going to happen with climate change, with climate-induced migration, is going, to be, is going to be many, many times worse. Yet we are not discussing this. We continue to talk about uh, cutting emissions and saying that would solve the problem, but it will not. It will not. As I said, even if we cut emissions to zero as a global community, all of this will still happen. Yet we are not discussing it in depth, in any depth. As I understand it, the international uh, terminology still lacks the definition for a climate refugee. But we've got to come to terms with this. And uh, so far, it's not being discussed. I continue to ask myself the question, you know, I believe that I won't be here when the sea submerges our islands, but my grandchildren will be. And I ask the question, what is to become of them? And what is the international community doing about it? So far, there's no clear pathway. I've uh, advocated things like migration with dignity, okay? Trying to make it more nicer than what, uh, because migration it is regarded as a very negative uh, terminology. And especially with what's going on in the United States at the moment. But it's, it's going to be a huge part of dealing with the climate change catastrophe. And we have to come to terms with that. The alternative is just simply to allow people to die. And if that is what the international community is willing to do, let's face it and say it. But at the moment, if it's not on the agenda, it should be on the top of the agenda because it's, it's a reality definitely going to come about. Yet we continue to dance around the issue. We continue to talk about emissions, the Paris targets. No, the real human catastrophe is climate-induced migration. In our own island communities, we struggle in acknowledging that brutal reality because it is not a pleasant thought. Nobody wants to believe that they're going to lose their home, that the future of their children and grandchildren is in serious jeopardy. It won't be easy, I can assure you, but at least let's try to find a solution. Thank you so much, Mr. Don. It's, uh, again, even more sad than the previous question, but we always say it's better to prevent than face. So in this case, we really have to come up with uh, realistic options one of it that you mentioned, for example, migration with dignity. So if migration is inevitable, so why we don't start work on that already and talk about migration with dignity or other solutions that could come up from, especially from uh, who's at the forefront of this, so the Pacific Island states and Atoll nations. So yeah, there are no clear pathways for the future and uh, it is a very dark scenario that will uh, come soon, unfortunately. 
So let me thank you so much for participating. And again, you are a very source of inspiration and it was so, so great to hear you. I think in a few minutes, you condensate so many concepts, very important concepts and ideas. And I thank you for that. But I always like to finish the podcast with asking our guests, uh, they want to share a final message with our audience. So if you have any final thoughts, message, maybe for the UN, the development partners, or more in general for our audience, you are welcome to do so. Thank you so much. Okay, well, it's uh, once again, it's very happy to, to share the thoughts. It's uh, having been involved with this uh, issue over a couple of decades. It's uh, sometimes I get the feeling that maybe there is no solution, but that is not acceptable. And so what I'd like to encourage, inspire up the people involved in the discussion to do is let's come up with some very concrete solutions at the upcoming COP27. Uh, let us not walk away from COP27 with a set of resolutions and documents, okay? Let's come away with something in the hand to come back to countries like Airbus and say, oh, we've got a solution for you. If and when the waters, your islands become submerged, this will be the solution. Your people will not be ignored. And so we need concrete solutions and we need to understand that um, we continue to talk about avoiding the catastrophe. We are already past that. Catastrophe will happen for us. The question is what to do with it or what to do about it. So let's be what radical and, and find solutions rather than talk around the issues and come away satisfied with having said what we have said, but not having done what we needed to do. Thank you, Julia, and it's been a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon. Thank you, Mr. Tong. Thanks again and for this very powerful final message. And uh, totally agree with you. Let's come up with radical solutions, hopefully at on the next COP in November. So thanks again, Mr. Tong. It was a pleasure. This concludes our episode for today. Please stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.